0: Let us rise from our seats and receive the scripture reading. Our scripture reading comes from Romans, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I'll read it for us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, Amen. You may be seated. KSPC, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be one family together with you. It is a privilege, honor. It's my joy. Uh, I want to show you a banner that I I, I drew. I'm getting better at this kind of stuff. Uh, Let's look at this banner. Uh, It's the EC Vision that was preached uh, in August of 2022. One Gospel for all walks of life. And we have the four vision statements. It is Encounter Christ's Gospel, it is embrace Christ's bride, equip Christ's body, and embody Christ's mission. Every, uh, every mission statement has the word EC in it. We are the English congregation, but it all has to do with Christ. Uh, you will be seeing a lot of this now. Uh, it will be plastered everywhere. And why are we doing that? We need to visualize what we're trying to do every week. We gather, we hear a word, we go get coffee. Why? Why gather in small groups? There is a mission focus and an active verb that's being used to tie our church into one identity. And without that identity, we are lost in what we're doing. People buy coffee only to fight each other. Uh, People get into small groups only to call each other weird. That is not what we're doing right now. And so you'll see a lot of this. Every step that we're taking has to do with this. Now, the whole church, we are going through a phase called nurturing the saints. And that's a combination of embracing the Christ, uh, Christ bride and equipping Christ's body. And so what's happening in this year is that we'll be going through heavy exposition and going through the whole book of Romans for 52 weeks. Every verse we'll look at it. And after 52 weeks, we will have a very good sense of uh, this whole book, and for those who who are those of you who are extra motivated, I want you to memorize all of Romans <laughs> everyone 's doubting already uh, it's possible people have done that for church history all around, but also uh, what we really need to do is embrace the body of Christ. we need to embrace each other, and i 'm saying this because KCPC is a beautiful church. The saints are strong here. Uh, The gates of hell will not overcome this church, but we are known to be a very cold church sometimes. I have seen many, many newcomers stand around in this room of 400, 500 people, and no one said hi to them, and inside, who knows what they've gone through that week. Loneliness, isolation should not be part of our DNA. And I'm sorry first... Uh, As a pastor, I should have tackled this DNA and fought it like cancer from the first moment I saw it. But it's been around for quite a long time. And so we are battling that this year as we embrace the saints, as we get together. Why study the book of Romans, which seems like a cold, harsh doctrinal piece? Here's the reason. Good doctrine leads to good living. Amen? Good knowledge of God must lead to passionate, embracing, loving people who can't wait to show their love for the Lord through people, and it needs to be connected. Pastor John Yuna and I are talking about this for three hours. What's wrong? We've only seen two dichotomies of churches out there, those who have good word and good doctrine and good practice, but no love for each other. And then we see churches that, so love each other, and yet their word and their doctrine is not as stable. And we're asking, what can put those two together? And I'm saying more doctrine. <laughs> Only a correct understanding of who God truly is. For example, if you hear Paul's word in chapter Romans chapter 7, he says, who can save me from this body of death because I keep on doing what I should not be doing. I am a chief of sinners, and yet Christ saved me when I was the chief of sinners, how can we look at another person and say, I'm better than him or better than her? Good doctrine leads to love and practice and sacrifice. So we will read all of Romans, and what we will do is we will really, really mean it. Romans will be real to us. And that's the goal of going through all of Romans. I want you all to get a pretty thick QT book, If you're a little more rich, we could have bought uh, good uh, moleskin books for you. (laughs) But uh, we want you to get a good uh, QT diary and really start writing down all of Romans, uh, including the sermon notes, and see how God blesses not just your mind, but your heart as a result of this book. There's more reasons why to study Romans. Romans is a book that is all about God and his work. A lot of the other epistles, the writings to the letters... Uh, of the churches, uh, reflect more of the church's circumstances. But Rome, Romans is all about God's plan for us. And it is a God-glorifying book. Also, every chapter of this book is saturated with the gospel. Amen? That means every week, someone can be saved still. Every week, no matter how thoroughly we go through every verse, someone will be saved and someone will be sanctified. The only two purposes of life Salvation and sanctification. Growth like Christ. Also, it provides a rich overview of the Christian faith. Do you have an idea that connects to a way of living, but you don't know where to categorize it? This will give you an overview of what you are thinking. It will arrange your mind and your heart. It's a beautiful book. There was a pastor who preached on Romans for just 15 years. (laughs) Just on Romans. That's how thick and beautiful and how condensed the substance of Christianity is in this book. But my biggest agenda to teach this book is to prove that solid Christian doctrine leads to passionate, loving, radically relational people who live a holy life in humility. I truly want to see that as a result of this year. So let's give glory to God first that we're diving into the book of Romans. Can we glorify God right now? Yes. Okay. I want you to be authentically excited that we're going through the most substantive piece of writing and scripture together. And so, today's text, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, is the greatest introduction to the greatest letter ever written. Paul wrote Romans from the city of Corinth, probably after about 20 years of ministry. And so it's probably dated A.D. 57. And a woman disciple named Phoebe delivered this message from Corinth to Rome. The reason we have this beautiful book is because of a faithful sister who delivered this book. Now, Paul intended to visit Rome after a trip to Jerusalem, but here's the thing. Paul knew that Jerusalem would probably kill him And so he's saying that I probably might not make it to Rome. So he's writing this book knowing he wants to go there, knowing that there's beautiful Gentile converts there, and yet because he can't make it, he is writing the best piece of literature he can on Christianity with one purpose, a letter that is certain to save people. This letter is certain to save people. It's written with all his passion towards a far-off place, knowing he wants to go there and yet knowing he might not reach there. And that's us today. Paul couldn't reach us, but he reached us with Romans. And so this is a book written exactly for us. It's a letter destined to save people. Now, think of this letter as an email. There's a sender. There's a recipient. There's a subject line. And there is a message. We're going to go through that as if we're reading an email because this is a letter. And we want to be really faithful, verse by verse, at what this letter is saying. And one characteristic you'll probably notice throughout this year is that I will not be grouping things into topics and titles too much. I will let the word unfold, but point out all the applications it has. It will feel like being shot by a shotgun. You don't know what hit you. But... It'll have different pellets of knowledge and information and also encouragement for each and every one of you at your phase of life. There's so many truths to unfold. I won't organize it. I'll unfold it. So verse 1. The sender is Paul. He introduces himself with the elements of a Christian identity. He says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. And this is a statement of Paul's identity. He calls himself doulos Christus. What that means is, I am a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. It's a designation of being a slave with a sense of complete, voluntary, utter devotion. A lot of us might be saying, he's he's calling himself a slave? That's very undignified. I am the master of my own fate. I control which direction I go in life. But I want to ask you, are you sure you really are not a slave? I talked about this in the Korean worship service a little bit. Romans 6.16. Let's look at the verse. Do you not know that if you present yourself, if you present, sorry, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, Or out of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Whatever you obey is your master. And we might, you know, be free from a lot of the things that restrict us from being, you know, free, independent people. But despite all the money and time and freedom in the universe, we have slavery going on internally. All of us have chains tied around our wrists. We are all slaves to something. It's just that Paul knows who he's a slave of. Amen? Paul knows that he is a servant of Christ rather than the industries or commercialism or communism. Christ is the only worthy master. Amen? And that's something that we have to dedicate ourselves to this year. Who will you serve this year? Your comfort, your pleasure. Look at how you use your time, how you use your money. That is your master. And I offer you, be like Paul today and offer your lives as slaves to the one master, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, he also says, I am called to be an apostle, verse 1. And into this context, Paul says, in a world of slavery where everyone's involuntarily and blindly enslaved, I am called to be an apostle. There's a calling, right? And a calling is not an internal voice saying, you know, oh, I feel like an apostle one day. It's different from self-identification, but this calling is an external, transcendent calling from God onto Paul's life. In Korean, we use the word calling, it means to call my life. 목숨, 목숨 소, uh, it means to call my life, all of it. Direction, salvation, sanctification, it encompasses everything. And Paul says, I am called to be an apostle. What was Paul's calling? The word apostle refers to the original 12 disciples of Jesus Christ. So no one can be an apostle today. The office is extinct. It's not a perpetual office like deacon or elder. It keeps on continuing. And so it's not a perpetual office meant to last forever, but an apostle must have been called personally by Jesus and then seen the risen Jesus and was commissioned by Jesus. Now, Paul wasn't personally called by Jesus when he was alive, but he saw and was commissioned by the risen Jesus in the dream in Damascus, in the vision of Damascus. And so he is the one person outside of the original 12 who is seen as an apostle with apostolic authority. Now, these people, when they speak, because they were messengers, apostle means messenger, uh, when they speak, It's as if Jesus is speaking, and through these 12 apostles, we have the compiled New Testament today. What that means for us today, and this is where I keep on going into rabbit holes, but we have to talk about this. What does this mean for us today? People today cannot add new original content to the Word of God. Because the canon of God has been completed because the office of apostle has been ended. And so, if there's anyone amongst us in our conversations and in our relationships, if we say to each other, God is telling you, telling you right now, I want you to be careful because God's revelation in his written word is completed now. All the works of the apostles are done now. The prophets and the apostles are sealed according to the word of Daniel. Therefore, we can't use the word God tells you, but it says, the word of God says. And that's the way to approach each other. Now, if that person is right, when he says God says, that number one, if it's contradictory to God's written word, then it's a false teaching. Okay? But if it's consistent with God's written word, it is redundant. <laughs> do you get that? And so when you speak to each, to each other, the greatest potential for spiritual abuse is when you say God is telling you. And then, like, how do you fight against that? It's like God is telling you, you know, Buy a PlayStation 5. Like, what do you do then? Right? And the only way to refute that is to say, but God tells me different. And then there's chaos and disorder in the church. And so Paul wrote this as a pastor knowing that there has to be order within the church that stems from the written word of God, not on individual ideas and uh, charismatic personalities. Amen? Amen? Let us address each other with the written word of God. That makes us a healthy church. I'm very happy about our church that we place such an emphasis on God's word. Now, Paul ends his self-introduction by saying, I am set apart for the gospel of God. I wrote a whole sermon just on this one word, aphorizo, set apart. Aphorismenos literally means, I am derailed from my way of life and set apart for a special purpose. And this word has two meanings. The bad sense is to exclude people because they're dishonorable. It's like Paul saying, you know, the word Pharisee, right? It means separatist, separatist. And the word Pharisee means separatist because it means that they were separating themselves from a pagan, dirty world that they didn't want to associate with. They alone were the clean ones. That's the bad sense of aphorizo. But the good sense of aphorizo is that I am set apart for a new purpose. Here's the difference. Are you set apart from something or are you set apart for something? That's the difference. And Paul is saying, I used to be a Pharisee and I disconnected myself with the world and all of them were bad people. That's why I went around killing Christians because they were bad people. But now he's saying, I've been set apart for a glorious purpose now, which is to preach the gospel to unite all people. I am set apart for, and here's an application point again for us. Do you distinguish yourself and your community from people that you don't like? There's the criminals, there's the gossipers, there's the fornicators, and you say, I'm different, or are you set apart for something that swallows up your whole life? The word for here, set apart for, is used as a term for offering. An offering set apart for. Tithing set apart for. Or a lamb set apart for honoring God. And Paul's saying, I'm an offering now. I'm being poured out. I've been set apart to be poured out for a new glorious purpose. Another application point. God's word is so rich. How many of you can say, you know who you are, who you belong to. You know for what you're called. And there is 100% commitment that you're poured out for that singular purpose in life instead of serving two masters or two paradigms or two concepts. How many of you are singular in your love for the gospel? I want you to struggle with that because Paul's self-identity, by just listening to who Paul knows he is, is a blessing to us. May you be set apart for the gospel. Amen? For the gospel alone. Amen. Does that mean that you can neglect your family? Or your other things? Here's a way to explain it. If God is first place in your life, everything that God gives you is a good gift. From second place all the way to the last priority you have. If God is first and he's the sun that the whole galaxy rotates around, then it means that your life is stable and in place. But... If earth tried to replace the sun as the center of of our galaxy, everything flies apart. And if your lower priorities, like your family or your studies, replace God and the gospel of God, everything flies around. And that's why all of you know chaos in your life, because you serve two masters, and second place always beats first place after you go back home, right? (laughs) Right? After you give one tenth of your income, you use the rest to serve your second place. Paul had no second place because everything was an disposable gift that God gave to serve the first purpose to share the gospel of God. I want our congregation, to have that much clarity in living. This is what I'm here for. This is who I serve. I am 100% committed, and so help me God. Everything in life is now a gift to use for God's kingdom. That is the identity of an apostle, but also an identity of a Christian. Amen? Point number two, the subject. If the email had a subject line, what would Paul be typing into the subject? It would be the gospel he introduced himself, now it's the gospel, verses 2-5. to five. Now, let's track through me with, with me. Uh, verse 2, it says, How did this gospel come about? Promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news was promised by prophets thousands of years ago. We call this a covenant structure, a structure of promise. The gospel is ancient. It's very, very ancient. From Genesis, as soon as God said, there will be a a, a seed of a woman who tramples on the head of a snake to free you from sin and death. That's when the gospel started. So it's not new. It's neither a mistake. It's not a fluke. Jesus didn't die by a mistake. The Old Testament has been waiting for the good news of the Messiah. And so, when you read scripture, another application point, the Old Testament and the New Testament cannot be separated. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is consistent. Consistent because God made a way to be with people in the Old Testament through the blood of sacrifice. And now God has found a place within us through the Holy Spirit because of the blood of Jesus. They are the same God. Do not separate the Old Testament and New Testament. Many churches do that. They say God in the Old Testament was a Psychopath. But the God of the New Testament is just a loving messenger, and they choose one out of the two. Because God loved the world, he must judge it because he is good, and he judged it upon Christ. Therefore, mercy for us. That's the whole explanation. So there is a continuity that we have to understand. Imagine if you were a Jew, and you end with the book of Malachi. There's no closure. You have like this, the worst Cliffhanger ever. Let's see how look, let's see how uh, Malachi 4, 5 through 6 ends. This is how it ends. I wouldn't want your revelation to end with this verse. Behold, I'll say you Elijah the prophet, he'll turn the hearts of father, children to father, father to children. And then he says at the end, what? Lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. End of Old Testament. The last word of the Old Testament is destruction. There is a cliffhanger that they are still waiting for. That's why the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah, that they would not be destroyed. But here's our closure in Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. The beautiful simplicity that we have in the closure of the promises of the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. Do you know that you're standing upon thousands of years of promises? You have great security. This is not make believe. You are not relying upon a document that you wrote last year. This is a document written by the hand of God through people for us today. What is this gospel about? It's concerning his son, verse 3. Uh, Romans has a lot of difficult words and instead of avoiding those difficult words, I want to create a glossary of terms for you next week Uh, I gave you a piece of paper this week, but probably every week I'll give you another piece of paper that has different things on it and I want you to compile a binder and put it in your QT journal as well. Uh, Next week I'll give you some glossary terms, but one word that we want to understand and grow together to be nourished is Christology. Repeat after me, Christology the study of Christ, the study of who Jesus is. Who is this son of God? He was descended from David according to the flesh, verse 3, but he's also, so he's the seed of the woman. He is a human being who's promised to crush the head of the snake. Because he was born in flesh, that's how he was able to carry the cross and fulfill the promises and be pierced on the side and wear a crown of thorns. All that was promised, but he can't do that to a spiritual body. He came in the flesh for us to be hurt, to be killed. Amen? That's how faithful God is. But, verse 4 also says, He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit by His resurrection from the dead. Not only is He just flesh and man, He's also fully God. And so we have, if we put three and four together, what you have is the identity of Jesus. Fully God and fully man. Uh, I might include this word in the glossary, but the hypostatic union of Jesus between man and God. He is completely, 100%, both man and God. That's the only way to save us. That's why the Jews will never get another another Messiah. Because how can you have a non-sinful, fleshy man who is of divine origin from God himself, who actually claims to be God himself? There is no other way but the name of Christ. Amen? We have been discovered by the perfect Savior. We need to be thankful for this, that God completed the impossible through an impossible existence in his son given for us, designed that way. Now, Paul proclaims, this son is Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, verses 4 and 5. Now, it takes just about three verses for Paul to get from his self-introduction to Jesus Christ. Another application point here is this. It took three verses to get to Jesus by introducing himself. And Jesus was so tied to the identity of Paul, if he talked with him for about 30 seconds, he'd probably talk about Jesus somehow in that short time. And that's my question for you. Is your life unexplainable apart from Jesus? Unexplainable apart from the good news of God? Or do you have so many titles and so many hobbies and so many interests that you could talk about yourself without anyone getting to know Jesus for a year, two years, three years? A lot of people are in soon gatherings, and they know everything about the other person he loves fishing. He uses this brand of fertilizer. He, you know, does this in the backyard. Uh, They know everything but Jesus in him or her. And I want to challenge you. May your life be unexplainable apart from Jesus. Amen? As soon as you talk about yourself, it's like, I'm David and Jesus saved me. That's my first identity. Who am I? I'm a child of God. What am I here to do? To proclaim the gospel. And what is everything else? My hobbies, my, my, you know, my reading, my writing, all that. What's that for? To help the gospel being proclaimed. The simplicity of that will give you focus where the world is blind to what it's doing. May you have that simplicity today, brothers and sisters. Finally, what is the purpose of the gospel? According to verse 5, is to be saved by faith, yes. But why? To furthermore... Show the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith. Why? For the sake of his name among all the nations that God would be glorified. What does that mean? You're saved. Not just to say, I have fire insurance now. I'm not going to hell. Yay. That's not it. You're saying, now that I am saved, I want to show the obedience of faith. Not just the salvation, but the faith leading to obedience. And so a good litmus test of how you are saved this year could be this. Am I growing in daily obedience? If you write your QTs, please write down the structure. This is very helpful. Who is God? Who am I? And what is God telling me in in today's passage? Those are the three questions you ask for every passage. And the last one is always about what God wants me to do that day. And he'll help you remember a face. Someone who's Lonely, and you should talk to, or he'll help you remember a bad habit that you have that is inconducive to the Christian life, but there is something to obey because of faith. Amen? If we do not keep track of our obedience, I'm sorry, I see this every week. A lot of you believed in Jesus when you were 12, and your head alone grew and grew and grew and grew until you're 25 and 30 years old. You know everything, but your hands and feet are still like this, like, you haven't you haven 't obeyed you haven 't like gone to where the gospel tells you to go like your hands and feet are still underdeveloped and there 's no muscle you 're just floating heads. Romans is meant to bring about muscles obedience engine power, and so whenever you hear the Word of God, ask what should I do because of this now every day of the week and that will bring about Glory to the name of God. Amen? It's very easy to glorify God. You overconceptualize it. Obey God every day. He will be glorified. Number three, the recipient. Verses six through seven. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, this is uh, the email where it's two and you put in their email address. Who is Paul addressing this to? All the saints in Rome who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Notice this. Belonging to Christ is the only common foundation of Christians. Rome right now, the church in Rome, we're fighting amongst Roman and Gentile and Jew, uh, Jewish converts to Christianity. And they're all fighting about, what about circumcision? What about clean food? Can you eat blood like rare steak? Is that all possible? And they're all fighting, Right? And Paul's saying, steak shouldn't divide you, right? Like, what you do after service and where you go to have have food shouldn't divide you. What you did to your reproductive system shouldn't divide you. And what's the implication of that? What's Paul saying? He's saying, the only distinction in heaven is whether you're in Christ or outside of Christ. Amen? What does that mean for us today? A lot of you still... A lot of us, including me, make this church cold because we have other distinctions apart from being in Christ and outside of Christ. Maybe I'll edit this out of the sermon when I actually you know, review this, but I want to say something. I don't like our church's name too much. Korean Central Presbyterian Church. And right next door, they have Christ Central. Would you rather be Korean-centered or Christ-centered? I'm like, oh! And then someone told me, Pastor David, don't worry. KC, King Christ. PC, praise Christ. I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs) Christ must be our foundation. Greet the non-Koreans. They are our brothers in Christ. You have weird people in your soon. We talked about that, right? Love them because they're in Christ. Then all their weirdness is just beautiful. Right? Right? It's only something that spices up the church. The only distinction ever to be made is to be in Christ or outside of Christ. And you have mercy on those who are outside of Christ. You don't point fingers at them. You say, I was like that just two years ago. I know how lonely you are. I know what you're going through. And I would give up my life to bring you in Christ. That is the radical nature of the church. Only the church community does that. And KCPC must be like that. To be salt and light to Centerville and to Nova and to Fairfax. Repeat after me. I am am in Christ. Christ. May the the world be brought to Christ. So simple. All the talks about ethnicity and race. If you read the comment section on any YouTube video, it all starts with, as a Korean American, as an immigrant, as a light-skinned person, I believe this, I believe this. What does your race and ethnicity have to do with your ideas? Whether you are in Christ and born again of the Holy Spirit by water and spirit and filled with the renewal of and the transformation of the Spirit, that dichotomy with the world, that's the only thing that matters. Check if you're in Christ Seek out those who are outside of Christ and bring them in with radical sacrifice. Finally, number four. What is a message? Let's look at this email uh, that I wrote. Uh, This is pretty fun. I was just using my personal email account, but I put Paul in the bottom, right? Because that's who's writing it. And he's writing down, like, you know, other people would put down PhD, LLM, or whatever, like, under their name, and Paul's saying, this is who I am, Paul, slave of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. And, and then the subject line is, to you who are in Christ, uh, sorry, the, 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 the people receiving it. And the subject line is, this is the gospel. And, and so, the gospel of God is being proclaimed to you, but finally, what is the body that should be there such a beautiful introduction, such a beautiful way of including people into the recipients of the message, and such a beautiful message to give. But what's the actual content? Wouldn't it be mind-blowing? Wouldn't it be so huge? Paul says, yeah, that's why I'm writing all 16 chapters of this, ch- of, of this book. But here's the summary of it. Did you know that the summary of the gospel for you is peace and grace? Did you know that? A lot of people say, I receive the gospel, so now, work, 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 work. Go out, go, 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 evangelize, evangelize. Paul's saying, the first summary of all the gospel is this, peace upon you, grace to you, beloved children of God. That's how simple the message is, peace and grace. What is peace, what is grace? When you get something you don't deserve, What is mercy? When you don't get something, you did deserve, right? And what is peace? The resulting relationship with God where everything is okay now. And not just okay, perfect. God perfectly loves you because of what he did through the gospel. You're so okay now that all you have is grace and peace. Do you really believe that? Like do you have that much peace about your life that all you have is peace with God and grace overflowing so that there is nothing to worry you anymore. You know, I, I tried to change the PowerPoint slides today, that helped a little bit. There's twenty small changes I want to make on our worship service you know, to wipe out the coldness of our of our of our congregation. Like But here's the thing, I want to paint all this room in beautiful colors, so that you know aesthetically, philosophically, through the word, through theology, that when you come in here, all that is here for you is peace and grace, peace and grace. And when you come in here, you're coming here to receive something that the world will never give you. The world will say, perform, 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 survive, survive, survive. Show how good you are. And church says, the message of God says, the church of Christ says what? Peace and grace. I love coming to church. Because that's the only place I'll hear this. Why is there peace and grace for sinners like you and me? Because Paul's saying, the exact same thing that happened to me, it must now happen to you. Be a servant of Christ. Be called to be a disciple. Be aphorizo, set apart from the world, set apart from TikTok, set apart from all the slavery of the world to be dedicated, laser sharp, one focus upon the gospel alone, and then because of the salvation of Jesus, because of the content of the gospel, there will be peace and joy overwhelming. If you're called by God, set apart from the world, to be dedicated to the gospel, saved by grace through faith, and the God-man Jesus, who died on the cross for you, then your identity and your purpose and your peace is all guaranteed. Amen? That's what he's trying to say in these seven short verses. Now, Some of you will still feel some hesitation to dedicate your life to Christ, to be set apart, to have one radical purpose. A lot of you might feel that here's the way to overcome that. This will be a common theme in every sermon I have. The only way to overcome a holy burden is to understand Christ did the exact same thing for you. What does that mean? If you're called to be apart from the world, to be dedicated to God, remember, God dedicated Christ to you. Upon the undeniable evidence of the cross of Jesus Christ, he was crucified for the world to see, resurrected just by 500 eyewitnesses in the whole town of Jerusalem. God made it crystal clear. I devoted my son to you. He's not saying, now return to me. Now give me everything in return. He's now saying, let that sink in your hearts for a while. That I dedicated all of my life, the creator of the universe, dedicated everything for your heart to beat again. Therefore, Live in response to that. You will be set apart because of the, the, gravita- the gravity of what has been done for you. You will, when you understand the gospel, it will be your sheer delight to live for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Beloved P.C. with today's message, God is unfolding a beautiful letter of the good news to you today. It's good news. Um, I read on a a psychological piece, and also I think another pastor talked about this. People love bad news. Uh, If you print one day of good news in your your article, uh, in your uh, newspaper, uh, sales drop by two-thirds because people are addicted to bad news. But this is good news that is untarnishable. You cannot negativize this good news. God loves you. He has a plan for you he already fulfilled it in christ and you are now living in freedom to be set apart from the world for god's kingdom alone what good news this will bring about power and simplicity in your life only if you believed it if only you would believe it if only you would believe it then our life will be sorted out very naturally